Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the privilege we now have of looking into your word. We ask for your guidance and for your understanding. Lord, help us to hear words that uh, you want us to hear. Touch our hearts, we ask. In your name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Just in case I forget, I want to say it once. He's risen. He's risen awesome. When I first learned how to do that, I couldn't wait for him to do it at church. You know, it's kind of like, hey, come on, I get to say something here, you know. And I was in a church that didn't do that very much. So anyway, many years ago, I read a book called uh, The Skeleton in God's Closet. And it was it's just a, a, a novel, and it was a fictional account of what might happen. In, the, in this book, obviously, they thought it had happened. But what would happen if the body of Jesus was actually discovered in a tomb? The whole book was based on that. And I enjoyed reading it because they talked about a lot of the archaeology and how archaeology does different kinds of things. And so for me, it was enjoyable from that side. But the other part that it did was that I think it gave a pretty accurate view of what might happen if that was actually the case. And, you know, in this case, in the book, a whole bunch of people were just, you know, wandering around without their faith suddenly because they didn't know what to believe and in the end, in the story, what happened was that there was an archaeologist who was an atheist and hated Christianity and for years had worked hard to get this ready so that it could be discovered and prove Christianity wrong. And, of course, that was all discovered and, and everything was, you know, how that, you kind of have a book that ends with a happy ending, right? So it was a, it was a happy ending, obviously, at that point. But one of the things that really struck me was the reality that they portrayed of what would happen if, Christ was in the grave if he hadn't risen again. And that was really a powerful thing to read through. And the Apostle Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians 15. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is futile and your faith is empty. If Christ hasn't been raised, me standing up here and sharing God's word is, you know, kind of ridiculous. And you sitting out there listening, it would be even sillier. That's that's how important the resurrection is. Without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have no reason to be in this building ever, much less today. And so that's one of the important things that we need to remember as we think through these things. Now, I came across this quote by Paul Little, and he kind of really digs into that a little bit. Uh, let's go to the next one, please. Thank you. If Christ did not rise from the dead, Christianity is an interesting museum piece, nothing more. Next one. There. The martyrs who went singing to the lions and contemporary missionaries who have given their lives while taking this message to others have been poor, deluded fools. So if the resurrection didn't happen, Paul Little saying this is, this is what would be taking place. Now this morning I really want us to, to, to see, and, and you've, if you've been a Christian for a while, you've heard all kinds of Easter messages. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell some things you may have heard, but I really trying to get through to one thing, and it was the guy said it in the video, if Christ is raised, then everything is different. Okay? Because he's not dead, that makes all of the difference in the world for us as we live our lives. And so that's where we're going. We'll be getting there in a number of different ways, but um, I just wanted to start with that. We're going to go to the first section, Acts chapter 1. It's in your notes or follow along in your Bible. Uh, and this is Luke, if you remember, he's a doctor and he's a historian. He traveled with Paul um, and also did some uh, some uh, teaching and church planning himself. 
And in verse 1 of Acts chapter 1, he said this, In my former book, which was the book of Luke, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. So Luke is about, this is what Jesus started to do. Acts is about what he continued to do, but after he left. Until the day that he was taken up into heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. And what's important about that is that Luke is trying to tell Theophilus, this friend that he's writing this book to, or this letter to, he's saying, I want you to understand that Jesus didn't just maybe appear once to one person. That is not the case. Jesus appeared in a span of 40 days. That's a long time. It's a month and a little bit more. And in that time, he appeared to many different people in many different scenarios. And that's the point that Luke is trying to make. It isn't just he appeared to somebody, one of the disciples, and and they told us this, and we all believe because of that. That's not the case. Matter of fact, here's here's the convincing proofs. Here's just some of them. And again, it's in your notes if you want to follow those or look at those references later. The first one that that I I love to talk about is the walk and the talk to, to Emmaus. Uh, Jesus meets up with a couple of people who are on their way out of Jerusalem towards the town of Emmaus. And as they're talking and walking, he begins to unfold for them all of the stuff about the, the, the Messiah having to come and suffer and die and all those things. And then they invite him in, and, and it's as he breaks bread at the supper table there that their eyes are opened and they say, it's Jesus. And then he was gone. So what do they do? They get up and they run back to Jerusalem and they tell everybody, hey, Jesus is alive. Physically touched Jesus. Now, just for those who were thinking, that, oh, well, man, it's just a vision. Maybe it was a hallucination. Uh, maybe it was just some kind of a, you know, smoky thing that they could barely see. Um, well, phys- physically touched Jesus. Jesus came because Thomas wasn't there at the first time he came to the disciples. Second time he comes and he says, okay, there's my hands. Here's the wound in my side. Touch me. See, I'm here. I'm real. And he wanted them to get that through and, and understand that. And then another time he came, he ate food. Again, you know, you've, you've got a spirit or some kind of weird thing that's just there. They don't eat. <laughs> Spirits don't eat stuff. And so that was the whole point of that narration that takes place in the upper room. Seen by over 500 people at the same time. And, you know, some of the people would say, well, you know, they're just kind of making it up. There's hallucination. Well, 500 people. That's a lot of people to see the exact same thing at the same time. And then it was over a period of 40 days that all of this took place. Now, Jesus gave all of them these convincing proofs to show he was not dead. He was alive. Uh, he was not a ghost. He was not some a figment of someone's imagination. The disciples were not expecting Jesus to be to be raised from the dead. We need to remember that. We need to remember they weren't looking for him to come back. They were devastated that Jesus was crucified. And they thought it was all over. So for anybody to come along and say, well, you know, the disciples had this all planned. No, they, they, they didn't have a clue. They did not understand that, that he was going to be coming again. And so Jesus convinced them that it was really him, that he really was here, that he had arisen from the dead. And from that point on, then they were 
They were solidly in, in, in line with what Jesus had been teaching them all along. Now, I'm just going to take some time now to take several different scenarios and talk about them in light of the, of the empty tomb. So the first one, um, you know, one of the reasons we believe, well, the tomb is empty. And uh, yet Mary Magdalene and Mary, the other Mary, went to the tomb very early. The first people who go there, they see the angel, they see the empty tomb. They're sent back to get the disciples. And this is where we pick up the, the story in Matthew 28, 11. So while the women were on their way back to tell the disciples, some of the guards who were there laying like dead on the floor after Jesus burst out of the tomb went to the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you are to say, so this is the plan, okay? The soldiers are coming in saying, hey, there's an empty tomb. We're not sure what happened, but he's not there anymore. And so they know they can't hide the empty tomb. And so they said, well, let's just let's make something up. How are we going to handle this? And they decided to give them a large sum of money so that they would say what they were asked to say. And they were told to say that the disciples stole the body in the middle of the night while they, the guards, were sleeping. And then it's interesting because in verse 14, I guess they figured maybe they would get in trouble for being asleep on guard. And they say, if the report gets to the governor, well, we'll make sure it's okay. You aren't going to suffer anything as a result of this. And so that story started to be told in Jerusalem at that point. Well, yeah, these guys are saying there's a resurrection, but you know what? They just stole the body. Um, Now, again, why did they make up this thing about the disciples stealing the body? Well, you have an empty tomb. There's an empty tomb. And that's critical at this point. You realize, now if the disciples stole the body, well then there are other things we need to think about, but you have an empty tomb and that is primarily what's driving this. They don't want to acknowledge in any way, shape, or form that Jesus might actually have been the Messiah, because if he was the Messiah rising from the dead, wouldn't have been a big deal. And so the religious leaders are against this. They don't want to have anything to do with this. And there's all kinds of explanations that have been given. Well, the women went to the wrong tomb. Well, let's just say they did. All they had to do was say, nope, hey guys, it's over here. Yeah, he's still in there. They couldn't do that. Uh, the disciples stole the body. Well, yeah, you know, the, the way they were acting before Jesus rose from the dead, which was hiding and fearful and, and, and hoping desperately to get away from any kind of persecution that might come, and how they acted after they saw Jesus, There's no way that they changed that dramatically and in the face of persecution themselves keep on saying, he's alive. There's absolutely no question in our minds, Jesus is alive. So again, you start with that empty tomb and you look at the kinds of things that that have been said down through the centuries. Another one is that Jesus never actually died. That's one of them. So you've got this person that, uh, you know, they say he went into the tomb and he was in there and, you know, they thought he was dead, but he wasn't. He you know, woke up, got himself out of the wrappings, pushed the stone away, and somehow made everybody think that he was alive, you know, and, and, and that he was resurrected. And so I think we just continue to go back to, okay, there's an empty tomb. Nobody could say, here's the body of Jesus. They, he, there was no body there. Second thing that we see, and this kind of ties into it, now we see the boldness of the disciples, okay? The boldness of the disciples after the resurrection, John 20, 19 says this, On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together 
And listen, this is the description of what they were doing with the doors locked for fear of the Jews. And they had already killed Jesus, and they were scared they were coming for them. And so they were in that upper room. They were trying to keep the doors closed and make sure nobody knew where they were, trying to hide to the best of their abilities. And Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Amazing words, aren't they? People just scared to death, huddled away up in this upper room, wondering if, you know, everything is over, Jesus is gone, and then suddenly he's there. And the first words are, peace. Peace be with you. I love that. But again, stop and think about what, what was happening. The doors are closed. They're scared to death. Now, are these the people that are going to go out and steal a body and then put on this whole charade about how he resurrected from the dead? I, it just doesn't mesh with where they were at and what they were doing. There's no indication that they had this plan all along. Jesus knew it was coming, but nobody else understood that that's what was happening. And so there's this huge change in the disciples from scared to death, hiding in fear of the Jewish authorities, to boldly proclaiming, you killed him, but he was raised from the dead. Acts 4.9 Acts 4, is where we'll go for that. If we are being in this, they had just healed a, a, a man who was crippled from birth. They had healed him, and he was running around dancing, and, and it was a miracle that everybody was just so impressed by that God had done this through the, through the disciples. And so they're now before the Sanhedrin, and they're being questioned, and, and, and the response is this. If we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and asked how he was healed, you want to know how this happened? Then know this. You, the leaders, and all the people of Israel, it is by the name or in the power of, by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands healed before you. Now that's a radical change from where they were at just a few minutes before. You know, I mean, here they are, scared to death, thinking they're going to be maybe rounded up and crucified themselves. And Jesus comes, says, peace be with you. And as time goes on, they're able to get out there and boldly proclaim, this is what Jesus has done. And Peter didn't stop there. He went on to say in verse 11, um, Jesus, well, he's the stone that you builders rejected, and he's become the capstone. So yeah, if you're building a building, and you had the stone named Jesus in your hands, and you threw it away, it was no good. But actually, that's the most important stone in the whole structure. That's what Peter said to them. And then he says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Isn't that incredible? So you've got a couple guys who, um, you know, the, the religious leaders would normally have not paid any attention to these guys. I mean, they're below us. That's how they would have seen it. They're just, they're just fishermen. They're just, who knows, but they're, they're, they're just not one of us. They're not, they're not schooled. And yet what happens? They stand there and they talk and they proclaim and they're clear. And they said, hey, these guys have been with Jesus. Now, I just kind of toss this one in there for free. Do people see us and say, ah, he spends time with Jesus? That's a great thing for us to be thinking through. That when others see us, do they, know, do they understand? Do they know? I've been in the presence of the Lord. 
So these guys are bold and courageous as opposed to cowering and fearful. And what is it that changed? The resurrection changed. They were there, hiding, fearful. Jesus appears, and now everything is different. Everything has changed. And the question then becomes, would, the, would you die for a lie? Knowing, knowing that this lie, that Jesus is still alive, serves no purpose. If that's what you're going to say, that it was a lie, would you die for that? Uh, would you die without receiving anything whatsoever? I mean, there's nothing in it for you at all. And why would you be rewarded if you exposed this as a, you know, a, fa- a fantasy? You would be rewarded, and yet that wasn't part of it. They themselves knew, no. You know, none of this is going to happen because this is a reality. This is the truth. And we believe in this resurrection, and we have seen the risen Lord, and we're not going to stop talking about it. Third one, many resurrection appearances. So then again, we talked about over a 40-day period of time, different people saw Jesus in different ways. Peter saw him by himself. Mary Magdalene saw him by by herself. Uh, The women saw the angel at the tomb. Uh, The... Ten disciples saw Jesus first, and then Thomas later, in another appearing, saw Jesus. In 1 Corinthians, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and he wants them to know some about the resurrection that maybe they hadn't learned yet. And Paul says, I received what I received I passed on to you as of first importance. This is critical. This is, this is the gospel, I think is what he's saying here. Christ died for our sins just like the Scriptures predicted, or according to the Scriptures. He was buried, and He was raised on the third day, again, according to the Scriptures. And so it's, it's interesting that Paul starts out with saying, listen, you need to know this is the essence of the Gospel. Jesus died, Jesus was buried, Jesus rose again. That's the Gospel. And, and as he goes on, then he begins to tell them more about that. Um, he was raised to death on the third day. He appeared to Peter, to the twelve. He appeared to more than 500 at one time, most of whom are still living. And Paul is making it very clear that if one of them wanted to go to Jerusalem and interview someone who actually saw Jesus, they could call him to testify because they're still alive. They're still there. This wasn't something made up by a few people somewhere hidden away in the mountains. This is something that is real. And these 500 people, most of them are alive. You could go talk to them and ask them, and they would tell you, yes, we were there. This is what we saw. Jesus is alive. And so again, you you, you start to see all of this stuff coming together. And and Paul's point in this isn't to, to make a whole lot of details known, but he wanted them to realize there was a lot of people who saw Jesus over a 40 day period of time. And that all of these people are saying the same thing. There wasn't different stories. They were all the same story. We saw Jesus. He's risen from the dead, and he has ascended into heaven. Never forget, if the people in Jerusalem, the religious leaders, could have found the body, all they would have had to do was produce the body, and Christianity would have been dead. It had been all over with. But that was not a possibility. Jesus had been raised from the dead. And then the last uh, last point I want to just touch on a little bit here is um, you've got the conversion of skeptics and violent opponents. 
And this is down through history. I find it really fascinating to read some of the stories of people who have been opposed to Christianity and been atheists, and suddenly, through a whole series of circumstances and beginning to think through these things, in some cases, researching to the best of their ability something so they could put down Christianity, they came to grips with the reality of it all. Lee Strobel, the newspaper writer from the, from the Chicago Tribune, it was one of those guys who wanted to disprove Christianity because his wife was in a Bible study. He wanted to get rid of it all. And as he did the research, he came to belief in Christ. But in Acts 2.22, um, it says this, Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited or endorsed by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. Everybody knew Jesus did miracles. Everybody knew some of the big ones that he did in Jerusalem. And then, verse 23, This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose. Now, interesting that that Luke is writing here, and he wants them to understand and know this was the plan of God. This wasn't our plan. This wasn't man's plan. The Romans didn't come up with this and, and say, let's do this. God turned Jesus over for all of this that happened to him to take place. By God's set purpose and foreknowledge, with the help of wicked men, you put him to death, nailing him to a cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death. And I love this phrase. It was impossible for death to keep a hold on him. And, and, and the imagery there is death was grabbing onto Jesus for all it was worth, hanging on as tight as it could, and couldn't hold Jesus. Couldn't keep Jesus dead. Jesus rose from the dead. And then he said, with many other words, verse 40, he pleaded with them, and he said, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message, and this was a message Peter was giving in Jerusalem, Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. These are people in Jerusalem. These aren't people somewhere else that hadn't seen or heard about this stuff. These are people in Jerusalem who knew what had happened, who understood that Jesus had been taken out and crucified. And they understood that there's a huge uproar afterwards, three days later, because there's a bunch of people running around saying, he's not dead anymore. Matter of fact, he's not dead. The tomb is empty. He's risen. And they're preaching this and teaching this. And it's interesting that people who were converted during this time frame, many of them, people who lived in Jerusalem, close to the temple, it also says that in some cases the priests themselves, many of them were coming to believe in Christ. Some of that probably had to do with the veil of the temple being ripped from the top to bottom. And as that happened, there were priests who understood this is symbolism from God. There's no human that could do this. So they broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So conversions, people coming to grips with, I believe that Jesus lived and died and that he died for me. I believe that. And and as they believed that, their lives were changed. So you've got all the conversions in Jerusalem based on the fact of the resurrection. People in Jerusalem, you couldn't fool them. They would know if all this was a bunch of nonsense that the disciples were kind of cooking up and, and everybody knew it was a lie, they would know. But that wasn't the case. 
The people in Jerusalem were among the first to come and believe that Jesus had died for them and had raised again. People believed, some of the most skeptical people, the people of Jerusalem itself. Then you've got the conversion of Saul. Remember, Saul was anti-Christian. He wanted to kill the Christians. Why? Because he thought this was a bunch of people who were becoming a cult of Judaism and, and that they had separated out and they weren't being faithful Jews. And he wanted to have these people thrown in prison until they changed their minds or executed. And he was doing that until he met the Lord himself on the road to Damascus. And now all of a sudden, the man who was trying to stop Christianity became its strongest proponent and a missionary to the whole world, taking the gospel of Jesus everywhere. And then you've got, of course, the conversion of millions down through history, including in places where it's dangerous to be a Christian. There are Christians. There are Christians in places we would never even dream that there are, but they are there. And they are there because the gospel cannot be stopped. Um, so those are the those are the four just kind of convincing things that I think we we see in the scriptures. And then, how do we respond to the resurrection? Um, I'm going to go back to when Martha was at the tomb of Lazarus, her brother, and Jesus came in John 11, and he says to her, "I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me." will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And she answered, yes, Lord, I believe you're the Messiah, the Son of God. And so Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, but in this statement he's making, he's saying, I am the giver of life. I am the one who can raise Lazarus from being dead to not being dead, to being alive. And not only that, I can give eternal life because that's what he says. Even though he dies, whoever lives and believes in me will never die eternally. And so he's giving this little form of the gospel there to uh, Martha just before he raises Lazarus from the dead. Now I mentioned Lee Strobel a minute ago and how he uh, was a writer uh, for one of the, for the Chicago Tribune, I think it was, and he wanted to disprove Christ, so he did the research. He was going to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt Christianity was a joke. And then <clears throat> this is the quote that he wrote and I came across, I didn't become a Christian because God promised I would have an even happier life than I had as an atheist. He never promised any such thing. Indeed, following him would inevitably bring divine demotions in the eyes of the world. Rather, I became a Christian because the evidence was so compelling that Jesus really is the one and only Son of God who proved his divinity by rising from the dead. And that meant following him was the most rational and logical step I could possibly take. Written by a man who really wanted to disprove it all, tried hard, and couldn't do it. Now, each of us are responsible for what we do with the information that we have. We can believe that uh, what the Bible teaches about Jesus' life and death and resurrection is true. And we can receive God's gift of salvation. We believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that He died for us. And as we do that, we're opening our heart to Him. Or we can refuse to believe and say, no, it's just a bunch of nonsense. I still don't believe it. I don't care what Mark says. It was nice little talk, but yeah, I'm not really all that interested. The reality is, God has given each person the right to make that choice. 
God could have pounded down every door, every heart, and just said, I'm coming in, but that's not the way he works. He invites. He says, I I want you to be mine. I want you to receive the salvation that I've had my son die so that you could offer or so that you could receive it. So what do we take away from all this? And Jesus was nailed to a cross for us, and he hung on that cross, and he died to pay for sins. He was the last sacrifice that would ever have to be made. Remember, he was the Lamb of God. He was taking, Isaiah 53 talks about the Lamb being slaughtered. Well, that was Christ, the perfect Lamb of God, dying for every single one of us. He conquered sin and death by rising victoriously. And Jesus rose from the dead in power and sits at God's right hand now, interceding for us. And Jesus offers forgiveness to anyone and everyone who will turn to him. That's all it, that's all it takes. I believe, Lord, that you died for me. We put our faith and trust in what he did. I share a true story of someone that, uh, a missionary that I read from, from Brazil. He's talking about this young mother named Sylvia and how at one point um, her daughter was still very young her husband died. And so she worked a couple of jobs in order to keep food on the table and to be able to make a humble, a humble but a, but a, but a life for the, two of, for the two of them. And as the daughter grew up, she was always looking at what would happen in the bigger cities and bigger towns and always had this longing to go. And so her mom was very straight and honest with her. Listen, if you go to the big cities as a young girl, these are the kinds of things that are going to happen to you. You're, you're going to get grabbed and you're going to get taken and you're going to be forced to do things that you would never dream you would want to do. Warned her and warned her. And yet she woke up one day and her daughter was gone. And so what this mother did was she went to the local uh, Photoshop and she had a picture taken of herself and she had as many little small black and white photographs of herself made as she could possibly make with the money she had. And then she went to Rio de Janeiro and she went there and went to the area of town where all of the sex trafficking and stuff went on. Went into every kind of bar that did that kind of thing. Went into the, to the places where the prostitutes had, um, you know, where they, where they were and, and hung these little pictures up everywhere she went. Kept hanging these pictures up. And one night, and she, she did that and then she ran out of money and had to go home. So she went home. A few months later, her daughter was coming down the stairs from one of these hotels where she was doing things that she would never have dreamed she'd have to do. And she saw this picture, and she grabbed it. She saw that it was her bomb, and she turned it over, and on the back it said, it does not matter what you have done. Doesn't matter what you've done, just come home. And she did. Jesus says the same thing to us today. I died for you. Whatever you've done, I paid for it. I will forgive if you'll come to me. Now perhaps you've drifted away from God and um You've grown cold in your in your walk with Him. This is the invitation today to say, confess, 
Come back. Be restored. Jesus said, or Paul said, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive and then to restore that relationship. So if you're a believer and you've drifted away, today's the day. Come back. If you've never received or received the forgiveness of God, you've never believed in Jesus for, for salvation, never opened your heart by believing that he died for you. And I invite you to think that through this morning. It doesn't matter what you've done. doesn't matter where you've been. doesn't matter anything at all. There's forgiveness at the cross. I remember talking with an elder lady one time. And she said, I'm not a Christian. I said, well, why not? She said, well, I'm not saved because nobody's ever asked me. Do you want to be saved? And I said, oh, by the way, would you like to be saved? And she, she said, yes. Just in case nobody's ever asked you, if you'd like to be saved, this is the time. This is the time. And if you're ready to turn to God, and I invite you to just quietly in your own heart pray this prayer with me. Lord, I believe that you died for my sins. Please forgive me. Enter my life and my heart and make me your child. Amen. If you've prayed that prayer today, please share with someone. Share with me. I'd love to know. If you have any more questions, I'd love to take to answer those for you. Nothing is more important than the decision of what we do with Jesus Christ. That's critical. Jesus rose from the dead and he offers us forgiveness and eternity with him if we will believe that he died for us and put our trust fully in him. That's why we celebrate Easter because he's alive and offering forgiveness to each one of us. He's risen. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your amazing grace. We sometimes have a hard time understanding all that was involved for you when you died on that cross for us. But we thank you. We praise you. We thank you that you take away our sins and and we don't have to pay the price because you already did. And so, Lord, this morning, if those that are struggling have drifted away, I pray that you'd bring them back. Bring them back. Those maybe this morning who have never believed, Lord, give them the ability to turn to you and believe wholeheartedly. Lord Jesus, help us as we leave this place to be able to rejoice in who you are and what you've done. We pray this in your name. Amen.